0: This chapter four is a very personal chapter for me. This is a chapter that at a time of incredible upheaval in my life, lots of chaos, confusion battering my thoughts, circumstances that were just horrific, a time when I was being slandered, falsely accused, and lies that hurt. You know how there's some lies that don't hurt? Like there was a lie going around when I lived in Vista that I was beating up Brian? That didn't hurt. It was like, right, ha, 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 right? But there's some lies that get you. Like, how dare anyone say that when that relationship or that thing is so precious to me? How dare they say that about my child? You can lie about me, and I'm like, but you lie about my children? Oh, the claws come out. You know how it is, those of us that have children? It's like, oh. and I just remember all or lay about Brian and a, and, the, and I was just, it was such upheaval. And the Lord met me in my personal devotions in Hebrew chapter four, chapter four. He just met me. It was like me and Jesus in the room. I think about when Jesus met Nathaniel, we read this story in John chapter one. And Nathaniel, I believe, had had a God moment, a very personal moment where he was sitting under a fig tree and all the promises of God became so real to him. And Philip comes to Nathaniel and he says, we've met the Messiah and he's from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? he, He doesn't believe this. But he goes with Philip anyway. And Jesus looks at him. He says, oh, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael says, oh, so you know me. And he goes, I knew you when you were under the fig tree. Something happened under that fig tree because Nathanael then looks at Jesus and says, my Lord and my God, you know about the fig tree. You know about the transaction and my thoughts and everything that happened under that fig tree. Many people believe that he was meditating on the chapter in Genesis where Jacob saw the ladder going up into heaven because Jesus said, from this time forward, you will see greater works by the Son of God and angels ascending and descending from the throne of God. Jesus knows those times of travail in sorrow, and those private moments. Don't you love that he has these private moments with us? Jesus, who is so great, and and we all love Jesus, but he has this way of being so private and personal with each one of us. Though he is for all of us, he is so personal and private with each one of us. This was a time of unrest. I had difficulty sleeping. And it's often for me at bedtime, just about when I'm ready to go to sleep, I'm absolutely exhausted that the anxious thoughts intrude. And they say things like, what are you going to do? What can you do? What about this person or that person? What about this lie? How are you going to bring truth to this lie? Or you need to defend yourself. You need to fight. If you don't do something, then you will disappoint everyone. Or people are believing the lies. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants you. I uh, recently had a, um, Brian's nephew committed suicide just uh, four weeks ago. And his thought was, everyone would be better off without me. I was just talking to a young woman two weeks ago. She has some young sons and she's married and she's on the mission field. And she was talking about this moment when the enemy was so strong and he said, your whole family, the whole world, the church, other people would be better without you. That's such a lie of the devil. Do not entertain that. Do not entertain that thought for one moment. That's a lie of the devil. But she had it, and she said it was so strong and so overwhelming that all she could do was call on the name of Jesus. But at this point in my life, I was at that place. I was thinking everyone would be so much better off without me. There's nothing I can do. And I didn't even know how to identify my thoughts. Have you ever got to the place where the confusion is so strong that you can't sort your own thoughts. You can't tell what is God and what is the world and what is the flesh, what is the devil. The thoughts are all running through your brain. What thoughts are safe to think about? And what thoughts, if you entertain them, will take you south so fast? And it was then that my devotions fell on Hebrews chapter 4. And these Israelites were promised a rest. And the Lord was promising in the midst of those horrific circumstances. He wasn't saying that there'd be a reprieve or an absence. But there would be a rest in the midst of these circumstances. A rest that I could enter into right then. You know... You never realize how important rest is until you lose it, you don't have it, it's being jeopardized, or you're just not feeling it and haven't had it. That day Jesus met me personally and spoke to me these three Principles in Hebrews chapter 4. And at that point, I took hold of them and I began to preach them to myself. Literally, preach them to myself. When I felt myself going down or I felt my peace ebbing, about to leave me, I would go, All right. Here are the four principles, and we're going to go over these again, but I would say the word of God is living and powerful. and sharper than any two-edged sword. I've got promises, and I'm going to trust those promises, and I'm going to stand in the living, powerful word of God, no matter what my circumstances say. My God knows everything. He saw it all. There's nothing he's missed. Everything is open and naked before the God that I stand before. I have a high priest who loves me. He's with me and he understands me. He's the perfect one, not me, but he understands and he's sympathizing and he's empathizing right now. Jesus, you are for me, not against me. And you understand me and you love me and you are interceding On my behalf before God. And right now I'm in the throne room of grace where I obtain mercy. Here in this place, I am absolutely clean and forgiven and wanted and loved and adored. And all I need to get through this situation, all the grace I need is mine. I would preach it to myself over and over again. I would proclaim these truths to myself. I would go, one, two, three, four. I would process them. I would meditate on each one of them. I still do. I still do. I go back to these things over and over and over again. Every time I feel my rest is in jeopardy. I proclaim them to my daughters. I proclaim them to my sons. I proclaim them to anyone who comes to me and says, I can't rest. I say, I'm going to give you four principles for rest right now that are my own. I'm going to take them out of the treasury. I love in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus said, every scribe who is instructed in the word of God brings out of the storehouse of his treasury, both treasures old and new. This was something that God put in the treasury of my mind and heart. And when somebody is going through unrest, this is what I give them. I proclaim this truth. I process it, I meditate on it, and I apply it specifically to certain areas of my life. I apply the promises of God. God, you gave me this promise and it fits in this situation. God, you're my high priest. You understand. God, you see it. You know what's going on, everything. I don't need to explain it to you. I don't need to go over it again. You saw it. I apply it. And then I praise the Lord, Lord, I praise you right now. I'm going to enter into praise because your word can be fully trusted. I'm going to praise you because you see it all and there's nothing that your eye misses. I'm going to praise you because you are my advocate. You are my high priest. You understand me. You sympathize, you empathize, you've been through this and you were victorious. And you know exactly what I need. And you are ushering me right now into the throne room of grace where I can obtain all I need. Or I, I praise God because my daughter or my son who's going through this trial, that same throne room of grace is available to them. They have the same high priest. The same God sees them. And the same promises are theirs. In the context of Hebrews chapter 4, these believers were in jeopardy of losing the rest that they were meant to have. Jesus promised rest. Jesus did everything that we might have rest. He took all our sins. He put them on the cross. He was victorious over sin and death. We read that he destroyed death, which Satan used to have power over men. He removed the power of the devil. We know that God desires that we live in this rest. Let me read to you Matthew 6, 25, 34, the words of Jesus. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither snow nor reap nor gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one more cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing?' Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after these things, the Gentiles, or those who do not have a heavenly father, seek but your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's what Jesus said. In another passage, he told them, look at the ravens. Now, if I don't think God created a more obnoxious bird than a raven, God loves ravens. I mean, if God loves ravens and he takes care of ravens and he feeds ravens, how much more he will feed and take care of you? Aren't ravens obnoxious? They're like big crows. It, 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 do you ever feel like crows are gossiping about you? They're up in the trees, you're walking by, they're going, ah, ah, ah. The other one's going, ah, 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 They're like, is she so stupid looking? You know, look what she's wearing. I don't even think it matches. And she can't fly. You know, and obviously she hasn't had any worms today. Look at her. You know, ah, 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 ah. You know and you're just you're just like. Would you guys just be quiet? And God loves these angry little birds. He takes care of them. How much more will He take care of you? They're obnoxious. You're not. Most of the time. You know, sometimes we think, oh. I don't merit it. I didn't earn it. How can he love me? He takes care of ravens. Go out. Just talk to a raven. Just look at a raven and go, wow, God loves you. And you are so irresponsible. You are not sowing anything. You are not harvesting anything. All you do is sit in those trees and gossip and God takes care of you. You don't even have a bank account or a savings account, not even a barn where you're storing up things. And God takes care of God clothes, God clothes the flowers of the field. I mean, you see a field and it's filled with flowers and we know they're going to die. And yet God says, but today, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful today? I clothed it today. You know, we tend to think of God as the great comrade in the sky. You know, is it, is it lasting? Is it fiscally responsible? Do you really need it? Do you really need it? I mean, can't you get by on chicken thighs for the rest of your life? And God says, no, I want to bless you. You know, sometimes we're the ones who want. not let God bless me. No, don't bless me. That's a little expensive. I have, you know, I don't spend over $5 for any pair of shoes. It's just my own rule. God says, I want to bless you with the $6 ones. Just kidding. Will you let God bless you? Will you let God bless you? Thank you there's one. There is a rest. And the author of Hebrews is reminding us of that rest. There's a rest that we are to enter. We actually have to go into it. We have to walk into it and we have to live in this blessed state of rest. In the book Pilgrim's Progress, there's a castle of good comfort And Pilgrim has to get into that castle of good comfort. And he wants to go in, but he hears these lions roaring and it's really dark and he doesn't know how to get there. When the door opens and there's a light beam that comes from the doorway of the castle of good comfort. And a voice comes from the castle of good comfort and it says, the lions are chained. As long as you stay on the beam of light, The lions cannot touch you. Hallelujah, I know. So it's not in my notes either. So you know this is a divine moment. So Pilgrim stays on that narrow beam of light, makes it to the castle of good comfort. And the lions are roaring and trying to get him, but they can never touch him. As long as he's on that beam of light, enter, entering in to the castle of good comfort. We must enter into that rest. We must stay on that beam and walk into this blessed estate of rest. Paul said, I mean, sorry, the author of Hebrews says, we are to fear. Here's your fear. You want anxiety, you want to have fear. Some people like to worry. Have you ever, I know people who like to worry. If, if they can't find a cause for worry, they get worried. Yeah, I need to worry. Give me a worry, quick. I don't have a worry. I've got to be responsible for something. Well, here's your fear. If you want to be anxious about something, be anxious about the fact that you're anxious. Fear your fear. Like, I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be anxious. I want to enter in that rest. It was a rest that Israel, though they were promised it, though God intended it for them, though God wanted it for them, they never entered. The gospel or the good news of God's rest was preached to them. God's offer of rest and blessing, but it never profited them because they never believed it. It was never mixed with faith. You see, I'm going to be honest with you. There are times that God's word does not work. It does not work when it is not believed, when it is not claimed, when you don't wait for it, it doesn't work. It needs faith. You must believe it. There are people that have Bibles in their house, but because they don't believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, those promises are not theirs. They must be believed. Faith is a necessary ingredient to enter God's promise of rest. It's not enough just to have God's promise. It's not enough just to know or memorize God's promise. It must be believed, embraced, and acted upon. It must be entered or lived in accordance with the recipe. The instruction that is given for that promise. In. Acts chapter 25, Paul is in the midst of a violent storm. And the text says that Paul had not seen, nor those on the ship, the stars or the sky or the sun for two weeks. They're in the midst of the Mediterranean. They have no idea where they are because of the darkness and the fierceness of the storm they were in. But God comes to Paul through an angel in Acts 27, verse 24. And he says to Paul, do not be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. But then in verse 30, these sailors try to save themselves and escape with the skiff. And in doing so, they jeopardize the promise of God. Paul goes to the captain of the ship. And he says, if these men escape, they're going to nullify the promise of God. So unless they agree to be with all of us, this promise of God is null and void. You see, unless you follow and obey the word of God, it doesn't work. For instance, let me illustrate it this way. Just having a recipe for angel food cake is not enough. I can have the cookbook, I can have the recipe, but having that cookbook and that recipe at my disposal will not give me an angel food cake, it won't. I can believe that recipe works, but unless I buy the ingredients, unless I follow the steps for an angel food cake, it won't work. If I say, you know what, I don't wanna waste those egg yolks, I don't wanna just use 12 egg whites, What am I supposed to do with the yolks? No, I want to add the yolks too. It will never work. You will never have an angel food cake. You have to separate the white of the egg from the yolk. And you have to do something else with the yolk. But you have to whip those egg whites. And you have to make sure your bowl is clean. And there's no oil in the bowl or the egg whites won't work. You have to make sure there's no yolk in it. You have to sift your flour and your sugar three times to get it light enough. You have to follow the steps of an angel food cake. Angel food cakes are probably the most temperamental cake I know of. You, you have to get the exact right ingredients. You have to have the cream of tartar. I mean, no offense, I do not use cream of tartar regularly in my life. The only thing I use cream of tartar for is my angel food cake. And it's in my cupboard just for an angel food cake. And if it expires, I have to get more, just in case my grandson says, Grandma, will you make me an angel food cake? Because that's what grandma's known for, angel food cake. And that's what every grandma should be known for, I'm just saying. I have to act upon this recipe I have to buy the ingredients. I have to follow the instructions exactly. I have to know the time it takes in the oven. I have to I have to take it out when it's done. I have to turn my pan upside down, because otherwise it will shrink up and become condensed. How many of you have made one from scratch? Okay, three of us know what we're talking about maybe six. You have to follow the recipe. The Jews had the promise, but they didn't believe it. So they didn't act on it. They acknowledged it, but they didn't apply it or act on it. This offer of a rest still remains verses three through nine. It is available to all who will enter it. This recipe for rest works. Psalm 95, 11, God's promise continues to be extended to us. If Israel had entered into the rest with Joshua by going into the promised land, if the land was the end of the rest, the psalmist coming some 400 years later would not have promised, 200 to 400 years, would not have promised that a rest still was offered to the people of God. It's a promise that reaches back to the very creation of the world, When God made the world, he rested. In other words, there was no more work to be done. All that was needed for the world to function, all that was required for man to be blessed was completed and operational. There are times to trust in the Lord and you say, and then what? Just believe, just stand on the promise. Just begin to preach that promise of God to yourself begin to proclaim that promise, begin to process and pray through the promise. Man only needed to live and enjoy in what God had already accomplished. And this rest is still being offered. The rest is right now, today, if you will hear his voice. You must move on this promise right now because time is of the essence. Israel missed this rest again because of a lack of faith and a lack of faith will move you to disobedience quicker than anything else. When you don't believe, then you've got to get it done for yourself. You're going to follow your own steps and you're going to try it. And that's what happened. And then their hearts were hardened, hardened to the point because they didn't believe it. They defied it and they didn't even want it what does this rest look like in verse 10? It looks like ceasing from our work. In other words, we're not striving to make something happen. We're not saying, well, I got to call this person. And I got to call that person. I've got to stir everybody up. It looks like not trying to atone for your own sins or mistakes, not trying to earn God's favor. It looks like resting Trusting in the completed work of Jesus on the cross. It believes in walking in the truth that your sins are fully forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. The sins you committed yesterday, the day before yesterday, from the time you were two and started saying no. Till this very day. They are forgiven. They are separated as far as the east is from the west. They are buried in the deepest sea and God will remember them no more. It means resting and trusting, knowing that we have acceptance before God because of what Jesus has done, that he finished the work that was necessary for salvation and said, it is finished. It is paid in full. It means no longer being anxious, fretful, aggressive, competitive, fearful, That God's not going to come through. But it means trusting in and entrusting everything to God. Why? Why can we rest? Why do we not need to be fretful? Let's go over one. Because God's word is living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of all the thoughts and intents of the heart. Psalm 1830 said, it is proven. It works. When we get to chapter 11 of Hebrews, you're going to see all the people God's word worked for and how it worked, how it worked when they believed it, how it worked when word meets faith. This is what happens. This is the power. Those who have followed the recipe given to them in God's word have received the reward. It's living. It is active. It never stops working. It works in the light. It works in the darkness. It works at all times, in all places, to all people, in all circumstances. These promises are 100% relevant to whatever you're going through. There is a promise or a word in God's word that corresponds exactly to what you're going through. And let me tell you this. It's yours. It's yours. Stand in it. Claim it. Pray over it. God's word is powerful. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be thwarted. All it says will happen. The principles, the promises, the parables, it is all True, It is all true. And all these promises will work if you believe, obey, apply, and wait. Wait for them. It is piercing and penetrating. It gets right down to the bone. Other words will fail, but God's word will not fail. We're told in Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, God says, as the rain comes down from heaven and waters the earth and causes it to produce crops and seed, so will my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish everything I intended to do. God's word works 100% of the time when it is mixed with faith. It works if you will believe it, if you will act on it, if you will rest in it it will work. Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine says, is not my word like a hammer, saith the Lord, that breaks the rocks in pieces. This is a promise that God gave me in 1996 when we moved to England. And I looked at England and I said, this place is a rock. I mean, they didn't want to hear the word of God. You would, you know, like do a little hammer and you would be the one that would be like reverberating. And people would be like, not interested. You'd hit the rock. And the Lord said, Cheryl, it's the steady blows of the hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Just keep going with the word of God. Keep chipping at that rock. Keep it consistent. Keep it coming. This last year, 2018. Remember 1996? Promise was given. This last year, 2018 at Creation Fest, we saw the rock begin to break open. Like I have never seen the rock break open. Let me just tell you two stories. Four years ago, this woman came to me. She's like, Cheryl, we don't know what we're doing. We took this crystal meth addict in. He got saved, so we started discipling him. He brought his girlfriend in. We made him separate rooms. We discipled both of them. And they brought four others. What are we doing? We've got children. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. I'll pray for you. I wouldn't do it. But they kept doing it. Now they've got over 200 of these young kids in the most destitute crystal meth capital of Cornwall, saved, passionate about Jesus Christ. She comes to me this year and she says, We've outgrown our facility. We don't know what to do. We've got problems those are the problems you want to hear. This other couple, he's a dentist. They came to me. They said, we can't find a a church that teaches the word of God. We need a church. And I said, well, have you thought about starting one? He me? I love the Lord. I've been a Christian all these years. I'd love to. I said, right then Brian walked in. I said, talk to my husband. That was three years ago. Talk to my husband. Next thing you know, he's a Calvary pastor. He's doing this fellowship. They've got over 150 people meeting in their house. They've outgrown it. They're looking for another place. That's just too, we saw the rock chipping in pieces. 23 churches from Dundee, Scotland came to us, came to Creation Fest and said, please do this in Dundee, Scotland, please. They unified, they said, please come to us. I mean, we've always been like, hey, we're coming. This time we're like, you want us? Great, we're coming. God is chipping the rock. We have a situation that just opened up where they are asking us to come to London. Pray about this, maybe to Trafalgar Square and bring Creation Fest. It's a crazy open door, especially when you consider that the mayor of London is Muslim and he's the one that wants this event. Crazy, right? God, you see, God's word works. We're talking 22 years of just that consistent blow of the hammer. Don't stop with the word of God. It works. It breaks the rock in pieces. You know what the enemy wants to say? Stop it. It's not working. So we go, nothing happened. It doesn't work. And we turn and we stop, right? I think of the story in 2 Kings where the prophet Elisha gave Joram, King Joram, he gave him these arrows and he said, pound them on the ground. And Joram just kind of anemically just pounded him three times. Like, really? And Elisha began to cry. And he said, oh, if you would have kept pounding and if you would have put strength and effort in it, then you would have wiped out the Assyrians. But now you will only have victory three times and then they will wipe you out. Oh, my sisters, do not stop. The word of God is living and powerful. Don't stop pounding. Don't stop pounding heaven. Don't stop giving it. My dad used to say, you know what? If they won't receive it, paraphrase it. And just keep giving them scriptures because it won't return void. Just put it another way. You know, I remember this kid that was, he spoke so dirty and he turned everything into a sexual innuendo in my Latin class. That's another story why I was in Latin. But he just you know, kept doing it. And my dad said, tell them this. Some people's minds are like, like racehorses. They run best in a dirt track. I'm like, Dad, I I don't think I'm going to say that. And he goes, yes, but to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled, that was his paraphrase. (laughs) I didn't use it. I did my own. Use the word of God. Use it. It's your hammer. It's going to break the rock in pieces. It's going to take that block of marble and make it a pieta, make it a, make it a David, make it. Those are statues by Michelangelo. He started with a block. In fact, in Florence, the great David that's there, it was a block of marble that other great artists had started to, but they had put a crack through it. And they said it was a worthless block of, of marble. But somebody said, let's see if Michelangelo can do anything with it. And he began to chip with a hammer. And what you have today is a priceless work of art, the statue of David. Oh, don't stop. Just because the enemy said it's ruined, it's no good, this will never be anything, you do not believe the lie. The word of God works, and you can rest because it works. If God's given you a promise, he's gonna do it. It rests. It is piercing, it is penetrating, it is identifying. It discerns our thoughts. It says, that's a lie. That's the truth. It discerns our own thoughts. It tells us the thoughts of others and why they think as they do. And you can pray. You can pray their thoughts. You can enter their mind and their thoughts and you can pray. You can rest in God's word. Take heart. You can know that it will happen just as God promised in his word. Next, verse 13, God sees everything everything you know the times that you think someone got away with something you know those times well they got away with that one well let me tell you no one gets away with anything sometimes because we don't believe that God sees and God's going to work we want to publicly out people We want to go on Facebook and say, no, this person is really like this and this and this and this. Don't believe there is a wolf under that sheep's costume. And you think that everyone is believing their lies and falling for their deception and following their hypocrisy and faltering because of their pretense? But let me tell you, God sees it all and no one gets away with anything. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. There will be a reckoning. God is absolutely righteous, and everyone will give an account before God. Rest, because God knows every weapon of the enemy. He knows where they are forming them. He knows the thoughts, the intents, the plans, the formations of the enemy, and he knows the enemy's people and minions. No one, no thought, no plan, no activity, yesterday or today can be hidden from God. Nothing can be hidden from God. God will spoil the plans of the enemy as we take his word, take his promises, mix it with faith as we pray. God will bring truth and justice to light at the right time in the right way. You need to preach God's word to yourself and his promises. You need to preach to yourself the truth of who God is and that he sees everything. But you also need to preach to yourself that you have a high priest. You have a great high priest, a high priest who is righteous. He alone was able to go directly to heaven. Jesus went before us. Remember how he said, I go to prepare a place for you in John chapter 15. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. And Jesus said, therefore, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be anxious. Don't be troubled to rest because I'm going before you. You know, Jesus didn't just go before us into heaven. He went before us in this life. He has lived everything that you could possibly go through. He has suffered. He has been tempted. He knows what rejection feels like. He knows what betrayal feels like. He knows what it's like to be hungry and tired and not trusted He knows what it is to be forsaken by friends, to be humiliated, to be accused and falsely maligned, to be opposed. He knows it all. He knows it all. He has been through it. He knows our pain and he empathizes and he sympathizes with us. Us, in our human experience, I go back to Mary in John chapter 11. You know, too often we think that Jesus is saying, Don't cry, stop that, come on, you know, be positive. But when he met Mary and Mary fell at his feet crying, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus didn't say, Mary, get up, I'm gonna raise your brother. Let's get to that tomb, let's roll away that stone, stand back he wept. He groaned in his spirit. He wept even though he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He took the time to weep and empathize with Mary and Martha to feel their pain. Jesus today is taking the time. He is going to do a great work. He himself knows what he's about to do. But even right now, as you're still going through it, as you're still feeling it, Jesus is weeping with you. He is feeling it with you, not apart from you. It says in Lamentations, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. He doesn't let you have one pain or sorrow to yourself. He enters it and he shares it with us as our great high priest. At the same time, making intercession for us before the throne room of God, preparing to get us through it. He accompanies us. He never leaves us alone. He walks with us. I've told you this before, but as a little girl, my favorite scripture still is Isaiah forty-one thirteen. For I, the Lord thy God will hold thy right hand <clears throat> saying to you, <clears throat> fear not. I am with you. I remember as a little girl being scared of the dark, Pulling the blankets over my head, but sticking my little right hand out. Saying, okay, hold my hand. Because it's dark in here. And just grabbing onto the hand of the Lord. Our high priest never leaves us. Our high priest is prestigious. He is the son of God. There is no higher personage in heaven or on earth or in the universe than our great high priest, the son of God. He understands our hardship. He knows our pain. He empathizes with us. He has been through the human experience, but our high priest is perfect. He is without sin. He resisted sin and he gives us the power and the plan to resist sin. He is invincible. The enemy cannot touch him and we are victorious through him. You know, other people that are like not sinning, they can get self-righteous and and conceited, and you don't wanna be around them. You know those people? Like, oh, your child rebelled? Oh, hmm, keep them away from mine, my little sinless Pharisees that I'm raising. Keep them away. Jesus is absolutely righteous, but not the least bit conceited. He said, I am lowly in heart. I'm humble. I'm gentle. I'm approachable. I understand. He does not abrade us. When you come to Jesus, he doesn't go, well, you didn't do this and you should have done that. No, he says, I love you. I understand. I'm here to help, and I'll walk through this with you. When we are full of anxiety, isn't it great to talk to someone who has been through it? Oh, I was—I went through that. I remember that with my oldest child. Or I could say, I remember that with my... You know, God gave me four, four different experiences, four different individuals that are all a miracle. That I walk through something with each one of them, totally different. But it helps me to relate to whatever someone's going through, like been there, done that. And Jesus helped me through it. But you know, when you're full of anxiety, doesn't help to talk to somebody who has gone through it and come through it victoriously, who listens and understands and says, I'll walk you through this. Well, that's exactly what you have in Jesus. Somebody who understands, who listens, who says, I've been there. I know the way to victory. Here, take my hand. I'll walk you through every step, every part. I'll show you what papers to fill out, what papers and where you file them and what to do. We have bold access. Finally, last point. We have bold access to God's throne room. Through prayer, we have all the grace we need. And grace is God's sufficiency for any deficiency. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It's God's efficiency for any deficiency. It's where the kingdom of God meets the problems of earth. It's everything and anything we could possibly need for this problem. And it's all available 24-7 to us in the throne room of God. We come boldly when I lived in England, there's Hampton Court. It's where Henry Eighth used to live. And William of Orange, who was one of the kings of England, he made this his, his palace, his great palace. And when you go there, they tell you that people would come by the hundreds and sometimes by the thousands to see William of Orange. And it was a big deal if you could make it through the gates of the palace and into the courtyard. That was a big deal. But only some people could make it through those gates. And then only some other people could make it from the courtyard into the palace. And you were going past all these fierce guards like that were saying and trying to intimidate you from going any further. If you made it into this palace room that they take you into, along the top is all swords and spears and all sorts of implements of battle to scare you and like, is your problem really that important or would you rather just go home? And then they would call you into another room where you would wait. Now, none of these rooms had chairs, no place to sit because they want to make you as uncomfortable as possible as you waited to get into William of Orange. Then you would go into a second chamber. Again, no chairs. And then only a few who have gone through this filter system would be able to go in to the chamber room of William of Orange. Yes, chamber room, his dressing room, because that would be the real privilege. You could watch him get dressed. And you might get into that room, but very few were allowed to talk or have an audience with William of Orange. You know what? In Jesus Christ, we go right through the gates into the palace, right through the courtyard, right through the palace door, right past the guards, and right into the throne room of grace. The most important throne, the greatest power and prestige ever is that throne room. And there we obtain mercy. We there are forgiven and wanted. Mercy is such an incredible word. The Greek word is eleos, eleos. In in the New Testament, it's translated all sorts of different places. It's translated compassion, forgiveness, faithful love. Because it's all that and more. Mercy. Mercy means that we are accepted. That we are wanted. That we are are forgiven, that we are fully equipped and have everything, all the papers signed and sealed, the credentials that we need to get into the throne room of God. And all this is ours as we come into the throne room of grace and we find help in the time of need. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I've waited too long to ask God. I should have gone at the beginning. God says, right now is the time. Do it now. Don't put it off. Any time is the right time to go into the throne room of grace. And there all we need to get through. All we need for victory. All we need to continue. All we need to stand. All the wisdom, all the strength, all the righteousness, all the instruction, all the hope, all the peace, whatever we need. God's divine sufficiency for our inadequacy, for our deficiency is given to us there. In prayer at the throne room of grace. In John 16, 2, Jesus said, Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. How many of you need joy? And how many of you need it like brimming? I love the hands being raised. Don't be embarrassed. Even though those others didn't, we know that they're raising their hand in their hearts. I want my joy brimming. I want my cup overflowing with joy. I want the marker of God's joy on my life. And people will say, oh, your circumstances must be wonderful. Oh, no, they're not. You can't see, but I have scalded thighs. I'm in pain. It's that grace that's there right now that's bringing us joy. Joy. God will give you in that throne room exactly what you need. Maybe not what you asked for, but what you need. And as Tim Keller puts it, he gives you what you would have asked for if you had his knowledge and his wisdom and could see what he sees. So that four years from now, you're like, he gave me exactly what I needed. He gave me exactly what I needed. We can rest because we have all we need for this trial as we come boldly into the throne of grace, where we are accepted, wanted, forgiven, justified, and blessed. And we enter this room every time we pray in Jesus name, because Jesus died on the cross, because Jesus rose from the dead, because Jesus atoned and paid in full the penalty of my sins, because Jesus has made me righteous. I come on the merits of Jesus, and in the company of Jesus. I come to the throne room of grace. But we must be diligent to enter this rest. We must be diligent. We can't ignore it. We can't neglect it. We must show diligence. This word diligence is the Greek word spadazo. And it means make haste, speed, effort, earnestness, exertion enter into this rest. It is yours. So preach it to yourself. Tell yourself about the fact that God's word is living and powerful and it discerns the thoughts and it penetrates right to the bone. Preach it to yourself. Preach to yourself that God sees everything and he doesn't miss anything. Preach it to yourself preach it to yourself that you have a high priest that loves you and understands and empathizes and is interceding for you and is on your side preach it to yourself preach it to yourself that you have bold access 24 7 into the throne room of grace where you will obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need proclaim it proclaim it to others Proclaim it to yourself. Process it. Think it. When those anxious thoughts come at night, instead say, no, I'm going to think about what it means that God's word is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. I'm going to think about what it means that it goes all the way to the bone. I'm going to think about what it means that God sees everything. And I'm going to say, God, you saw this and you saw this, this and you see this and you see this and you see what I cannot see. You see the future. You see the inside thoughts and motivations of men, and you see their day of salvation or their day of destruction. You see it, and I'm gonna process, I'm gonna meditate, I'm gonna think that out. You are my high priest. I'm gonna think what that means. I'm gonna process it through this situation. I'm gonna process what it is that I come to a throne room of grace, not a throne room of judgment, not a throne room of, of condemnation but a throne room of grace where I obtain mercy. I'm going to process that. I'm going to think that out. I'm going to look up the word mercy. And what I'm going to go big. I'm going to praise the Lord. And I'm going to say, Lord, I praise you that your word is alive and living and powerful. And this promise is mine. I'm going to praise you for this promise. I'm going to praise you that you see everything. I'm going to praise you. Because you are my high priest and you love me. I'm going to praise you because I'm in your throne room right now. And as you do, you will receive in exchange the peace of God that passes all understanding. And it will rule. And that word rule is the Greek word to govern or set a garrison or an army around your heart and mind. Philippians 4.7. As you meditate on these, as you, again, I'm going to say it, preach it, proclaim it, process it, praise the Lord and practice, walk it out, walk it out, girls. Here it is again. These truths are my own truths. These are so personal to me. This is not something that I haven't processed. This is not something that is just like, let's all try it. This is my life. This is where I live. This is where you'll find me in these four verses. God's word works and it will not fail. I can count on the promises and the word of God to get me through. God saw it and sees what I don't see. And he has gone before me in everything. I don't need to know what the enemy is up to. I don't have to go on Facebook I don't have to prepare for it. God already saw it and is preparing me for it and will deal with it. Jesus is my high priest. He is interceding for me. He is listening to me. He is for me. He understands me. He sympathizes with me. He's already been through this and he will bring me through victoriously. I have bold access. to God's throne of grace. I can go any time to God's throne. There I am heard, there I am forgiven, there I am accepted, there I am wanted. And there is where I receive all I need for any and all situations life can throw at me. These, these are the greatest causes, the greatest sources, the greatest reasons, principles for truths, I didn't even know what to call it because it's so many things in these four reasons, truths, principles, promises. This is where rest is. This is where rest is. Take it. And this is what I want you to do with it. Don't forget these four. Don't forget these four. Don't just like go to a chapter 11 and go, oh, there was something in chapter four that was kind of good. No, these are yours. So here's what you're going to do with it. Ready? You know this, preach it, proclaim it, process it, praise and practice, and you will rest and you will find rest. Stand up. I only know like Sesame Street Spanish. So I know how to say levante, say, por favor. Siente, say, por favor. They say, por por, por." stand up, sit down. So I'm like, wait, I know, cerrado, abierte. See, Sesame Street, right? Anyway, girls, God intends a rest. God wants you to rest in who he is and what he's completed. He's done it all. He's done it all. And he's given you his word. He's given you his presence. He wants to give you his peace and his grace. He will get you through this, whatever it is. He's is with you. He's for you. He's going to get you through. Lord, here are your daughters and I present them to you. Lord, I pray that you would impart your peace to them. Lord, that you would teach them how to preach to themselves, how to proclaim, how to process, how to praise, and how to practice, walk practically in these four great truths, principles, realities, the greater truths that are ours. And Lord, as they do, I pray that your peace that passes all understanding would rule their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And they would come back with such testimonies to say, oh yeah, God met me and here is what he did. And we Apply that to this situation and we rest in you because you are going to get it done. And we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.